Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home, and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. And hey, everyone, and welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio program. I'm Jenny McCormick Earhart, your host for the next hour. And what an hour we've got, too, right, Nick? Oh, yes. It's always a blast. <laughs> we got some stuff coming up. And, you know, there's a big weekend here in the South, mm-hmm. specifically uh, for folks in Georgia, right? Rise up. Which is where we're from, right? <laughs> Rise up, baby. This is a very big weekend for the Atlanta Falcons, mm. right? And whether you love football or not, it kind of really doesn't matter because you can get just swept up, you know? Oh, yeah. In the enthusiasm. It's like a movement through the whole yeah. city. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I love it. It's sort of that whole underdog. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing that's nice, too. A lot of the country's rooting for Atlanta because yeah. nobody likes the Patriots. I know. We just want to take them down. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be ugly. Okay the uglier, the better. Yes. Right? <laughs> and as much as it's about the football, and it is about the football, um, it's also about the food. Oh, yeah. Okay, so people like me, right, when we think about events, mm-hmm. right, momentous events, Super Bowl, oh, yeah. holidays, right? Um, girls' night in, anything we're doing. Um, you know, the first question is, are we going to have fun? The second question is, what are we going to eat? Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that today on the Southern Sisters radio program. Nice. We have got a Super Bowl menu for y'all that is uh, quite tasty, mm. if you ask me, and fun. It, it definitely kind of makes the event because it's one thing if you mm-hmm. show up and you got some chips and dip and soda right cool but if someone has taken the time yeah. to make like a dish for the right. super bowl party oh right. seals the deal it's so appreciated isn't it? everybody is always grateful and thankful for super bowl food oh, yeah. now and, and you know chips and dip and soda and beer that has its place don't oh, get yeah. me wrong they are invited to the party <laughs> you can bring your chips you can bring all of that but we we put together a fun menu today that's really not that difficult to pull together if you have friends getting together um, mm-hmm. tomorrow on Sunday for the for the Super Bowl, um, you know you could always just designate some dishes out and have people make things. There you go. We are going to do. We're going to start off um, with a winter fruit sangria, and Ooh. it's never too cold for sangria. People think of it sometimes as a summery, you know, summery dish, but this is wonderful. You can have your beer, you can have your soda, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you whip up a picture of this winter fruit sangria. And you're going to have a happy bunch. There you go. You're going to have a, a slightly tipsy happy bunch. Hey, that's right? all right. That's, that's what Uber's for. That's Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are going to whip up some uh, Dirty Bird Buffalo Sliders. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Oh, you're so good. Oh, my word. We're going to do some skillet cheese fries. Oh, okay. Man. We're going to lighten it up a little bit with a rainbow fruit skewers. I've got an amazing fruit dip that goes with them. Mm-hmm. Just for those of us that might want a little something sweet, a little something fruity. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, it can't all be heavy a, and cheesy and the, laden with fat. But that's the best part is you make something like that and then everyone feels a little bit okay right? with right? eating the other stuff. I'm going to eat you know, six well, had, sliders, but then I'm going to have a piece of fruit. I had fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it all, that's my mother in me. I can hear her voice. Where's the fruit? Where's something green on your yes. plate, Jenny? <laughs> and then we're going to round out our well-balanced Super Bowl menu with a Snickers cream cheese ball. Mm, oh, my word. Good. It is so good. Mm. Yeah. We're going to have fun with that. But folks, uh, in the meantime, we're going to talk a little bit about what women do for fun when they feel like having fun. Okay. okay? There's, a, there's a lot on that menu there. There, there is. And you know, I, I've been reading a lot about um, taking care of ourselves as women in the South. And, and guys, if you're within my earshot here or within your earshot, you can hear me. Um, just, just remember this. You can play a role in helping your um, significant other, the female in your life, be yep. the best person she can be by, uh, you know, 
supporting her Absolutely. when she occasionally needs to have that special treat for herself. Mm-hmm. I always say it's like the whole, um, you know, the whole airbag thing in the airplane. Women are such caregivers, right? We're always yep. looking to take care of others. Uh, but when that, that oxygen mask drops down, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you supposed to do? Put it on you first. Yeah, why is that now? Well, that's so that you can take care of the other people exactly. and get the mask on them in case they don't get it on. Exactly. Yep. So shall we just say, so that I can better able take care of the people in my life, mm-hmm. I took care of myself yesterday. Oh, really now? Yeah. Okay. What did you do? Well, I have to tell you, and this is uh, the perfect BFF thing to do. Um, I got a phone call from my, my best friend, Pam, who actually has hosted the show with me before. Yep. Many of you may remember Pam. Uh, we met in, in church, you know, when we were four. <laughs> 14 years old, but she called me up and she said, what are you doing tomorrow? Now she does this thing to me where she'll say, what are you doing tomorrow? Okay. Now in the back of my mind, I'm thinking she hasn't told me yet what it is she wants to do. So how do I know that I want to do it? It's one of those subliminal, what are you doing tomorrow? As in, what are you going to cancel so we can hang out? Right. And so if it's something I really don't want to do and I tell her that I'm available, then I'm stuck doing it. Do you see my point? Oh, yes. So I said, well, and I was, I was swamped with work. Uh, The Southern Sisters has got a lot going on Mm -hmm. lately. And so I was very busy working uh, on business. And she said, well, she said, my car's in the shop getting repaired. I, she said, my insurance is covering a rental car, yeah. right? She said, I went to the rental car place to, to get the car. And uh, the only thing they were going to offer me was this tiny little shoebox of a car, teeny tiny little thing, oh, you yeah. know, a little squirrel with on a pedal oh, underneath yeah. <laughs> the engine. And she said, I didn't feel safe in it. So I asked them if I could upgrade to something a little bit bigger. They said, you know, for like $8 more a day, we'll give you this Jeep thing. Yeah. You know, so she got the Jeep. She drove away from the rental car facility, uh, got about five miles down the road, turned around and came back. She said the car was shaken. It was too bulky. Ooh. She didn't feel safe. So she said, you've got to have something else. And the, and the, uh, the man at the uh, rental car agency said, well... I do have something else. I'm not sure if you want it. And she's like, what? And he goes, well, take a look out the window. And she looked out there. There's like a 2014 black Ford Mustang convertible. <gasps> and she said, oh, I can't afford that. And he goes, I'll give it to you for the same price. <gasps> Sold. <laughs> <laughs> so she calls me up, being the good BFF that she is. And she says, uh-huh. I've got a, you know, a Mustang convertible for the next three days. Oh. Where do you want to go? <laughs> yes. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, I got a million things I need to do. And, you know, folks, you know this feeling. You, there's something you really want to do that's fun. But in the back of your mind, you're guilting yourself because you're like, you know what? I really can't just take the day off. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot to do. I have yeah. responsibilities. Yeah, you got to be an adult. I'm, an, a grown, I'm a grown up. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about we that. <laughs> but then again, back to that whole thing of taking care of yourself and not passing up every wild adventure that mm-hmm. comes your way. So yeah. I said, you know, I cleared my I cleared my calendar and she, you know, she picked me up and off we went. Nice. We headed for the North Georgia mountains in this you know, Mustang convertible. Of course, we're you know taking these selfies all all the time, <laughs> right? Video selfies, photo uh-huh. selfies. We're posting to Facebook. We're having a blast. It was so so much fun. Oh yeah, so it's much fun nice to be able to just get away like that. I mean, yeah. like you said, North Georgia Mountains is not too far away, but it's a little escape. Well, for those of you that have not been to the Smith House in Dahlonega, Georgia, amazing. And normally it's a long line to get in there, oh, but if, yeah. if you go on a what, what did we go on like a Thursday yeah. afternoon? You know, it was like it was. Dead and, and the food was amazing. And oh, yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I had never been there. Really? No, I've lived in oh, Georgia wow. forever, never been to the Smith House. Well, you've it's, it's an experience for it's sure. It's so good. It is. We 
and ate and ate and ate. We just rolled out of there. (laughs) It was fabulous. Now, uh, before we took the convertible top down, though, we were a little unsure as to how to do it. Because, you know, it's not just like the old days where you get out and just pull it manually, right? It's all automated. There's latches and switches and things. So here we are in the car, and I've got the manual out. You know, we're sitting here, and I'm saying, okay, step one, you know, turn the knob clockwise and then pull down. You know, I'm making sure that she doesn't break the convertible top (laughs) as we get it up. And it was a little trick putting it down also. But um, but it was was amazing. That's awesome. Let me give you a couple of reasons, folks, why you should do exactly what I did, you know. In fact, Pam and I were saying later, we should just go rent one of these things. Like maybe, you know. Once a year, we'll just rent one. Rent one for just a day isn't that bad. It's not it's that really bad. Not. No, she's like we can split the cost, and it would yeah. be worth. Because you know, if you think of it, the car is the entertainment. We, it's true. Other than food, we didn't spend anything else the whole day. We just <laughs> drove around the north, you know, drove around in the hills like yeah. a couple of wild women. Um, it was fabulous. But number one, guys, one of the great reasons to take time for yourself. It's actually you can equate this to your work. Huh? Um, it makes you more productive at uh. work when you do occasionally take that time off. Take that day off. Use your vacation days. Okay. A lot of folks don't even use all of their vacation days. Use them for actually going on a kind of a vacation, even if it is just a one-day escape. All right. (laughs) Exactly. A wild adventure. Number two, it's likely to bring out your creativity. Giving your brain that mental break, getting off and doing something fun like that actually rejuvenates your brain and improves your creativity, and it can have proven health benefits, that time off. Yeah, uh, you know, getting out and having an adventure, they say, can go. actually make you an overall more healthy person. Especially if you get a convertible, there's a lot of fresh <laughs> air. See, more benefits. I'm feeling so much healthier today. <laughs> do I look healthier? Yes, you do. That's it. That is the prescription. A convertible Mustang. Yes. <laughs> well, folks, we have so much to talk about in the show today. You are going to love it. We are just going to have the best time talking about our Super Bowl menu. I've also got some tricks for you uh, to make folks think that you're more intelligent than you really are oh yeah and then we have got a southern narrative to die for chocolate and bread and we'll be right back turn off the telly nelly come to the table mabel now sit up straight kate it's time to eat Pete. have a banana hannah try the salami tommy Get with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try Welcome back to the Southern Sisters dough. Radio Show. Ah, we are talking food. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about a very special sort of culinary category of food. <laughs> Super Bowl food. Yes. Which is really just some of the funnest food there is. Absolutely. Right? You know, we did that segment back in the fall about uh, state fairs, you know? Uh We talked about funnel cakes and deep fried Oreos. I have to tell you, Super Bowl food is kind of right up there with state fair food in terms of how excited I get about it (laughs) and how delicious it is. Yes. You know, and uh, there are some healthy dishes out there. There are. There are. You can intermingle a few healthy things with some... uh, some ones that maybe ain't so much. I've got to say, and I'll bet you're probably one of the best at being like, guess what? You can get the greasy fat and all the other yeah. good stuff you want, but guess what? It's not that bad for you. It's really so, not. So, you know, yeah. I always say everything in moderation. <laughs> one brownie never made anybody fat. You know, just you know, depends on the one size chicken of the wing. Never <laughs> <laughs> size, <laughs> the size of the brownie. Oh, you know? I know, I know. You know, and I've been being pretty good lately about eating healthy, but I will tell you, there is just something fun about whipping up some 
comforting, you know, super full, super uh, bowl dishes oh, yeah. on on Sunday, mm-hmm. right? For the big game. And those of you that are diehard football fans, you know, this is going to be perfect for you. For those of you that are more about the food and the halftime show, mm-hmm. all right, there's a few of you out oh, there. Yeah. There's a few of me out there. No, I'm... <laughs> Did I say that's that okay. out? No, that's all right. No, that's okay. uh, I, I will be watching the game. You know, I uh, I've always enjoyed football. I have. I did realize though, last football season, I was at a Georgia game with my husband, and I realized how I really was missing a lot of the sort of nuances of the game. Mm-hmm. Especially when it came to some of the referee calls. I didn't understand. <laughs> I mean, I did. I did and I didn't. I understood yeah. the obvious ones where a lot of them I didn't. So I went and downloaded on my Kindle um, Football for Dummies. Nice. Okay. Nice. I'm, I'm not did, too did proud it to it. It helped tremendously. Nice. Yeah. I read it in about, I just, every night in bed, I'd just be you know, <laughs> reading it on my Kindle. And every now and then I'd turn to my husband and say, Did you realize that, you know, blah, 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 you know? He's like, he go, Yeah. Uh-huh. I've known that since I was 12. <laughs> I'm like, Well, I didn't. But it makes the game a little more enjoyable mm. when you kind of know what's going on. Right? It does. You yeah. do. You absolutely yeah. enjoy it a lot more. So I said, but my cat, my sort of area of responsibility this summer is going to be to put some awesome food on the table mm-hmm. for those of you that are listening and uh, and you want to whip up something delicious and yummy and maybe a little different than what you've done before. We've got a menu for you. Oh boy! Here Hello. We go. Mm. Now we know. Let's we'll start out with the drinks because I like to start out. You know, <laughs> the cocktail always comes well, that's first. That's where you start, isn't mm. it? You kinda, set, mix those up. You know, so that you can enjoy a little bit of it while you're making the rest of the food. Exactly. A little <laughs> sip, a little cooking. A little yeah. sip, a little cooking. Um, and you know, we, a lot of folks are going to do sodas and beer and things of that nature mm-hmm. on Sunday. For something a little extra special, I'm going to be whipping up at my house some winter fruit sangria. Mm. It's good. It's fruity. A lot of the food that we're going to talk about in this segment is kind of heavy and cheesy and mm-hmm. wonderful. But, um, you know, this the fresh, clean, sort of fruity, crisp, cool uh, beverage, I think, is exactly what this menu needs. Mm. Guys, what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to need a large pitcher to make this up. You're going to add uh, one cup of brandy to the pitcher, a half a cup of sugar. You want to take one orange, cut the ends off, and then thinly slice the orange. Okay. You're going to take one apple and you're going to have it and then thinly slice that. All right. Take the seeds out. All right. Drop that in there. You know, with sangria, you want the flute, you know, the fruit floating in there. Oh, yeah. All right. Makes it look nice. Um, also, you're going to need two bottles of well chilled dry red wine, like a Rioja or a red Zinfandel, Mm -hmm. something of that nature. You could do a rosé, okay? Also, one cup of lemon-lime soda and three-fourths of a cup of fresh orange juice. Now, I'll be honest with you, I... Depending on the size of my pitcher, I, you, you could double this recipe. You, can, you might, <laughs> need, okay. might need more than one pitcher. Depends on whether it's, it's you know, if three or four of you. If your winning or losing. <laughs> <laughs> you might need some extra, right? <laughs> let's, hope we, let's, let's hope we don't have to dull the pain on Sunday. I'm really hoping we don't. So, guys, just what you're going to do is in the large pitcher, you're going to add the, the brandy, the sugar, the orange, and the apple slices, right? And you're going to let that stand for about 15 minutes. Then you're going to add your two bottles of wine. Wine, your one cup of lemon lime soda and your three fourths cup of orange juice. Just you know, kind of stir that yeah. all together. Keep that on standby. Then when you want to serve individual glasses, you just put some ice in the glasses and pour this over over Perfect. the ice. That sounds super. Refreshing. Yeah. It is super good. Yeah. I would like one right now. Yeah. That would mm. be nice. <laughs> now, in honor of our beloved Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. this this guys, this dish is for y'all. Uh, these are our dirty bird buffalo sliders. 
Southern mm. Sisters, no less, came Yum. up with this, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to make it easy on yourself. This is my one of my favorite shortcuts for dishes like this. You're going to pick up a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store, and you're going to debone that chicken, okay? Just take all the meat off of that. You're going to end up with anywhere from three to four cups to five cups, possibly, mm-hmm. of of a uh, rotisserie chicken meat, okay? And just kind of shred it. Just kind of pull it apart with your with two forks, maybe just kind of chop it up a little bit and pull it apart. What you're going to do is you're in a baking dish. You're going to combine the chopped rotisserie chicken with three-fourths cup of hot sauce, two tablespoons of melted butter, two tablespoons of lemon juice, and one tablespoon of brown sugar, okay? Kind of combine that, mix that all together, cover it with foil, and you're going to pop it in the oven at 350 for about 20 minutes all we're doing is heating it through. Okay. Easy peasy, right? Now, meanwhile, in a small bowl, we're going to make a wonderful blue cheese um, slaw to go mm. on top of our of our uh, slider. So what you want to do is you need about two cups of the, you know, the pre-shredded coleslaw mix that you can buy yeah. in the grocery store. Now, you can make your own, guys, by using about a cup of red cabbage shredded, and I would grate a carrot and maybe slice up a celery stalk into, you know, thin slices. You can kind of make your own combo like that, but if you want to make it really simple on yourself, just pick up the bag, use about two cups of the pre-shredded, uh, pre-shredded coleslaw mix, and then you're going to mix with that. You're going to put in uh, one-third cup of ranch dressing, okay? Um, these uh, Ranch dressing is one of the easiest homemade dressings to make. Um, I have a recipe on my website. If you guys want to use that, bottled is fine for this purpose. We're going easy on this That's day, great. right? There's nothing wrong you're with gonna, that. You're going to combine the ranch dressing, one-third cup, and you're going to add about three-fourths cup of crumbled blue cheese, mm. okay? Toss that all together. Now we're going to assemble our sliders, I love the Hawaiian rolls. Oh, yes. Are they it's not the first awesome? first thing that pops into my mind when you say sliders. So good. Yes. Okay, and then what you do is take them out of the package, take a nice serrated bread knife, and cut them lengthwise right through the middle, okay? Mm-hmm. Take off the top. Now, you're going to start piling that wonderful um, buffalo chicken all over the bottom half, right? And then you're going to start topping big dollops of this wonderful blue cheese coleslaw on top of that. Mm. Put the top back on and then use that nice serrated knife to cut and divide those little sliders. Yep. You know, so much easier than trying to make each individual one. Yeah, Does that make, make sense? Yeah, make a huge mess. Mm-mm-mm. This is going to be oh, There you go. Now, what would be better to go with our Dirty Bird Buffalo sliders? Um, how about some skillet cheese fries? Oh, yes. This is so good. Oh. And quite frankly, it's a real pretty presentation if you do it in an iron, cast iron skillet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is so easy, too, guys. This is fun food. You're going to bake. One pound of frozen French fries, any variety that you like, according to the package directions, until crispy. Okay? Now, then you're going to want to make sure that your oven is still preheated. You're going to keep it preheated to 350 degrees. In your cast iron skillet, you're going to layer half of the French fries. You are then going to need one cup of shredded cheddar cheese, one cup of shredded Monterey Jack cheese, ten slices of cooked bacon, chopped, a fourth of a cup of sliced green onions, and if you feel like taking a walk on the wild side, I suggest one-fourth cup of pickled jalapeno, Ooh. okay? So you put half of the french fries on the bottom of the skillet. You're going to then put half of all the other ingredients right on top of the french fries. Got it? Okay? Then you're going to repeat with the remaining half french fries on top and then the remaining half of all those wonderful toppings. Mm. Got it? You're going to pop it into that 350-degree oven uh, and just heat it up until the cheese is melted. It'll take about 10 minutes and serve warm. Ooh. 
Man, that sounds oh, good. Come to me. Yeah. I think it's time after we've had all of our healthy. Uh, I mean, sorry, our, yeah, our healthy, our healthy. <laughs> our healthy food. <laughs> How about some rainbow fruit skewers mm-hmm. with a vanilla honey yogurt dip? This is amazing. You guys can pick up these little wooden skewers even at the grocery oh, yeah. store, right? They're usually about ten inches long. You can cut them in half if you like, if you don't want super long ones. And you're just going to skewer some fresh fruit on there. My favorites for this time of year are going to be pineapple mm. and uh, pineapple and some kind of sort of berry. The strawberries are wonderful. Oh, yes. um, I've kind of been on a blackberry and blueberry kick lately. Just kind of line them up, guys. With a, And I always like to have a variety of color. Mm-hmm. Now, in a medium bowl, you're going to whisk together two cups of vanilla yogurt one-fourth cup of honey, and one-half teaspoon of cinnamon. You're going to thread the fruit, like I said, onto the skewers, and you're just going to serve serve them with the um, the yogurt dip alongside. Mm. Kids love this. Oh, yeah. They do. I say that's Last, sweet and healthy and delicious. Right? Yeah. yeah. Last but not least, guys, hold on to your chairs. <laughs> How about a Snickers cream cheese ball what for our dessert? What a way to finish. It, it, you, it, I, I don't even have words oh. for how good this is. In a medium bowl, y'all, you're going to beat a 12-ounce block of uh, cream cheese, room temperature, with three-fourths cup of sugar, one teaspoon of vanilla, and one cup of caramel sauce. You can use the store-bought sauce. You're going to use a hand mixer and beat that until it's light and fluffy. Then you're going to fold in a half a cup of roasted chopped peanuts and one-third cup of chocolate sauce. Ooh. You can use the Hershey's if you want. Transfer this mixture to a plastic wrap. Just lay a big piece of plastic wrap out on the out on the counter. Dump that all on there. Fold it up and shape it into a ball. Got it? Yeah. Using the plastic wrap. You're going to refrigerate it until it's slightly firm. It's going to take about an hour. Then you're going to unwrap this amazing ball of goodness, and you're going to um, place it on a serving platter. You're then going to take four Snickers bars. You're going to chop them up into little pieces, and you're going to press those all over the outside of the ball. Oh. Let it soften for about 20 minutes, and then you're going to serve it with graham crackers. You know the little the squares? You just break yes. off the little squares, and you just dip that into there. Oh, it's good. my goodness. It's good. <sighs> Happy Super Bowl. Yes. Oh, and by the way, there's a game going on, too. Oh, oh really? <laughs> I, with all that on the table, I don't know that I'll right? be paying a whole lot of attention. Oh, you're going to be some good eating this weekend, guys, and we'll be right back. Hannah! Davey! Welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. You know, I've got a question for y'all. Are you as intelligent as you think you are? <laughs> mm, it's a tough um, question to answer there. Right? Now, the answer you may have to that question may be different than the question or the answer I have to it. Does that, <laughs> does that make sense? Uh, you may be thinking one thing and everybody else may be thinking something else. <laughs> Do you ever worry about that? <laughs> Sometimes, mm. you know. Well, listen, fellow Southern sisters and the men who adore them, I've got, uh, I've got some tips for you today. Ten ways to appear more intelligent than you really are. Now, it's not that I'm trying to um, persuade you to fake people out on your intelligence level. I'm not. But let me tell you, there's some reasons why you always want to put, let's just say, your most intelligent self forward. Oh, yeah. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Now, listen, guys, it's great to be smart, but intelligence is a hard thing to pin down. In many cases, how smart people think you are is just as important as how, you know, how smart you actually are. Okay. Now, as it turns out, intelligence only explains about 20% of how you do in life. Much of the other 80% comes down to emotional intelligence or EQ. 
Got it? Mm-hmm. So EQ is a skill that's so important that 90% of top performers in the workplace have high EQs, and people with high EQs make $28,000 more annually than those with low EQs. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, so there's a reason to listen to this segment. Huh. Mm-hmm. Now, the hallmark of emotional intelligence is self-awareness, when uh, you know, which involves not just knowing how you are, but also how others p- perceive you. Mm. So people with high emotional intelligence are masters of influence. They're skilled at altering their behavior to make the most of a given situation. Hmm. Got it? Now, you may, might not be able to alter your genetics. None of us can, right? But there are some proven strategies that can help you appear to be smarter. And some of these strategies, they seem arbitrary, quite frankly, but research shows they make a massive difference. And that makes this good information to have, especially, you know, Nick, if you're trying to sway somebody to your way of thinking, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah? You know, uh, these why'd are, you these, point that one to I me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, hang on a minute. Hold up. Who because am I trying to sway here? You know what? Because you probably, like a lot of people, we think we know best. Uh, that, that. Right. Yes, that's true. We think we know best. And so we want to, you know, we want to bring people around to our way yeah. of thinking. OK, so m- m- might I just say, and like I said, we tend not to go down the political road on this show, but there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, protesters out there that might could benefit from some of this information. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If they are looking to sway people, right? Yeah, show your better They side. might want to try dressing for success rather than throwing chairs through windows. <laughs> okay. Got it. And that is number 10. We're going to do a countdown. So the first way, guys, that you can appear more intelligent than you are is to dress for success. Mm. Now, this should be no surprise to anyone. Extensive research shows that how you dress affects how people see you. Dressing well makes you seem more intelligent, and showing skin may make you seem less intelligent, as it directs people's attention to your body rather than to your mind. You see what oh, I'm saying? Okay. So depending on what you are trying to achieve, <laughs> Very true. that may dictate what you decide you may yeah. you know. And want like to you wear. said, you know, dress for success. You look good. You feel good. I, that is so true. Absolutely. I can tell you that. I can tell you exactly how I feel when I run out of the house with no makeup and my hair in a ponytail <laughs> and dirty old warm up pants to the grocery store. Okay, no, uh, you don't feel so good about yourself then. Uh, but did you know um, that how you dress also affects your performance? So a recent study by Northwestern University found that making people wear lab coats improved their performance in tasks that required intelligence and concentration. Hmm. Okay. Now I equate that to the lab coat is to the scientist or, or the intellectual, you know, like uh, the new the new pair of Michael Kors boots are to the Southern lady. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. it, it, it sort of injects you with that sense of, um, I don't know, empowerment, yeah. confidence, shall go. we say, right? Number nine, uh, keep pace with the crowd. Now, I mean this one literally, and I know it may sound silly, but research conducted at Boston University shows that it's true. It's called the time scale bias, and it refers to our tendency to attribute greater intelligence based on mental attributes like consciousness, awareness, and intention to people who do things at about the same speed as everyone else. If you want to look smarter, you need to stop dawdling, but you also need to stop scurrying around like some crazed robot. Does that make sense? Meet the pace of those around you. Okay? Number eight. I kind of like this one. It's a little silly. Wear nerd glasses. (laughs) Okay, I've got someone right now. That's why Nick's laughing. Wear nerd glasses. Wear nerd. Now, did your mom ever tell you uh, to be nice to the nerds because you'll probably be working for them someday? As usual, your mama was right. 
Okay, research shows that people wearing glasses, especially thick, full-framed ones, are perceived perceived as being more intelligent. Hmm. So if you want to seem smarter, you know, when you're giving a presentation maybe, right, leave the contacts at home and try wearing your glasses that day. Okay. Right? I'm in my glasses right now, and I know you are just taken aback by the amount of intelligence that is just radiating off of my face right now. This is true. (laughs) Number seven, look them in the eye, guys. We know we're supposed to do this anyway. It's good manners, right? And that's true, but it also makes you look smarter. In a study conducted at Loyola University, participants who intentionally managed their eye contact scored significantly higher on perceived intelligence. Hello. Right? Number six, speak expressively. You do well at this, Nick. (laughs) Communication experts make the case that even if two people say exactly the same thing, the one who says it most expressively will be perceived as being smarter. If two speakers utter exactly the same words, but one speaks a little faster and louder and with fewer pauses and greater variation in volume, that speaker will be judged to be more energetic, knowledgeable, and intelligent. How about that? So if you want to come across as more intelligent, try modulating your speech by varying your pitch. Let's see if I can do this. Try modulating your, you know, now that just sounds weird. <laughs> try modulating your speech by varying your pitch, volume, speed, and energy level. Huh, you know, I have to say, like you said when you started, a lot of this seems a little arbitrary, but you're right. You, some of these things you've mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah, subconsciously, we think that way. If right. I see someone with a big, thick rim glasses, I'm going to think, oh, they're probably pretty smart. They're probably pretty that's, smart. That's so crazy. Exactly. Huh. And uh, and I'm a big fan of sort of the fluctuation in voice and expressiveness. Yeah. I think that... You know, your, your, your voice is almost like a, a tool. It's, it, it, it's an Very art true. form in being able to you know, express yourself yeah. effectively, right? Hmm. So if you're really smart, you shouldn't have to use big words to broadcast it. <laughs> true intelligence speaks for itself, so you don't have to show off your vocabulary. That means that, so basically, guys, this is number five, which is write and speak simply, hmm. okay? Um, in addition, you can always, you, you may, if you, if you try to overreach your vocabulary a little too much, you run the risk of, well, of being wrong. <laughs> Perhaps, right? <laughs> Using a big word incorrectly makes you look, well, you know, not so smart. It's true. So if you want to appear more intelligent, stop studying the dictionary and just focus on communicating effectively. Oh, got it. Point. You know, the argument could be, could be made that our new president is a an effective communicator, but not necessarily a, um, he doesn't have a, 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 a large, a large vocabulary. vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, very true. And yet he harnesses the power of his communication skills. Too. Is, There's no question that we understand what he's talking about. Yeah, and he's persuasive. Number four, believe in yourself. Nothing projects intelligence quite like confidence. And when you believe in yourself, it shows. And research shows that believing in yourself improves your performance on cognitive tasks. Okay. On the other hand, self-doubt impairs your performance. And what's worse is that other if other people don't, you know, if they pick up on this doubt which makes you appear less intelligent to them, mm-hmm. you may have a problem there in terms of this, your persuasiveness. That is true. That's very true. How about this? Use your middle initial. <laughs> so, okay. So this is what... <laughs> Guilty of that one. <laughs> you really? <laughs> Absolutely. What is your middle so, initial? A. Alexander is my middle name. Yeah. So and Nick so A. Bean. Mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. used it very often. It have sounds, you? I, just, I, I don't know why, but it just... Like you said, subconsciously yeah. in my mind, I'm like, it makes me seem a little bit it does. more professional if I use it. Well, let it me works. tell you what Jenny M. Earhart has to say about this. <laughs> John F. Kennedy, right? Franklin D. Roosevelt. It turns well. out there may be a reason that so many people who hold a prominent place in history used a middle initial, mm-hmm. right? Not only does using a middle initial enhance your perceived social status, it also boosts expectations of intelligence capacity, 
and performance. In one study, participants were asked to read and rate Einstein's essay on the theory of relativity, with authorship being attributed to either Dick Clark, David F. Clark, David F. P. Clark, or David F. P. R. Clark. Not only did David F. Clark get higher ratings than David Clark, but David F. P. R. Clark outdid them all. So I guess the more initials, the better. (laughs) And last but not least, folks, if you want to appear intelligent, how about this? Skip that drink. Now, it depends on where you are. Oh, yes. I'm not skipping any drinks at my Super Bowl parties. (laughs) But, uh, and that's not just because people tend to do stupid things when they've been drinking. A joint study conducted by the University of Michigan and the University of Pennsylvania revealed that merely seeing someone hold a drink is enough to make them seem less intelligent. Hmm. It's not that we assume less intelligent people are more likely to drink. It's that the perceived correlation between drinking and cognitive impairment is so strong that we assume impairment even if there isn't any. Does that make Uh, sense? For example, although job candidates uh, frequently think that ordering a glass of wine over a dinner interview will make them appear intelligent and worldly, it actually makes them come across as less intelligent and consequently, less hireable. Mm. How about that? Just get a glass of water. Just get some water. Get yourself some <laughs> club soda and stick a lime in it. There you go. Right? Well, guys, we are going to be right back with our Southern Narrative chocolate and bread. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern Narrative sharing stories from around the South. Here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Bread and Chocolate by Muriel Giliano from French Women Don't Get Fat. I recently saw a short play in Paris called, loosely translated, Women Who Eat Chocolate. Three young addicts decided to try group therapy, and the therapist, an ex-chocoholic herself, will try to help each find her key to get un- getting unhooked. They all fail, surprise, and nothing gets resolved. This is French theater. But there are lots of good lines, some with more than a grain of truth. For instance, a survey reveals that 9 out of 10 people admit to loving chocolate, and the 10th one is lying. The play was satirizing a French obsession, chocolate, but also the therapeutic establishment, which perhaps one couldn't get away with in America. I took it in good fun, except when a comment was made about women who eat their chocolate in private. To the French, the idea seems silly enough for a gag, but given my American experience, I couldn't laugh. Too often, American women eat on the sly, and the result is much more guilt than pleasure. The tendency goes with an attitude that should be changed. Nothing is sinfully delicious. If you really enjoy something, as I adore chocolate, there is a place for it in your life. But we cannot allow guilt-ridden scarfing. Only with cultivating pleasure can you enjoy chocolate in the clear light of day. The same goes for other excellent foods Americans have come to consider no-nos. Now, French women eat chocolate, about 12 pounds a year on average. They also eat bread. We fought a revolution over it. Another item on our watch list of offenders. But French women don't get fat. In fact, here's another form of the French paradox. Pretending such pleasures don't exist 
or trying to eliminate them from your diet for an extended time will probably lead to weight gain. The only long-term effect of deprivation is the yo-yo. Down today, but up again before you know it. It's utterly pointless, especially because both bread and chocolate are good for you. are going to eat bread and chocolate, and we are, and not get fat, and we are not, we need to use our heads. Maximize the rewards of pleasure while minimizing the costs. In fact, little pleasures are the key to success. And according to prescription, I absolutely needed to have my chocolate, but in little doses. I also had to cultivate my appreciation for what I was having. In short, my doctor taught me the French way of enjoying those foods that can be friend or foe, depending on how we treat them. The keys are sensory awareness, portion sense, quality, and an eye to the big picture of overall wellness. I've already confessed, I am a chocoholic. I'm convinced I inherited that gene from my mother. She had an amazing repertoire of chocolate desserts, as well as a passion for straight consumption. It made her the easiest person in the world to shop for, bringing back chocolate from Belgium, Switzerland, or any good French chocolatier was a sure way to her heart. Some years ago, when a famous chocolatier in Lyon passed away in his late 70s, the obituary revealed he had eaten a good-sized chocolate bar every day for most of his life. The joke in our family became that there was now proof of at least one person in France who had eaten more chocolate than my mother. But since she would live past 90, enjoying chocolate all her days, I'm sure she beat him out in the end. If the magnitude of the chocolatier's habit doesn't sound impressive to you, your relation to chocolate must be examined. For the man from Lyon was, by French standards, extraordinary. Few of us could eat as much and still eat it properly. Not that eating chocolate is a competitive sport. In fact, when Mother was enjoying her fix, it was more like Zen meditation. No one talked. One look at her expressions, her lips, her eyes, commanded a hush in the house. It was a natural way of honoring our Mother, allowing her the moment to savor one of her most elemental pleasures. To know how to appreciate that burst of delicate flavors, that supreme smoothness of texture as it melts in your mouth and begins its way down your throat is, to me, a great accomplishment of sensual eating. It's an experience that could not be more remote from eating a Snickers bar on the run. But how did this gentle madness evolve? History reveals there are deep roots to the allure of Theobrahma cacao, the technical term for chocolate, meaning, in Greek, food of the gods. Chocolate came to Europe via the New World in the age of more than one discovery. The Olmecs seemed to have happened on it first. Their idea of chocolate was as a high-energy drink, extremely bitter and peppery, and a sort of proto-power bar reserved for men, priests, princes, and warriors. They believed the magic food would improve war-making, sexual prowess, and one's chance of surviving a snake bite. But our own version may be traced to the later pre-Columbian civilizations around 3000 BC, when wild cacao trees grew in the warm and humid soils of Mesoamerica, modern-day Mexico, and Guatemala. 
For the Aztecs, chocolate was not only an elixir, but a symbol of value. Their system of commerce was based on the cocoa standard, and the chocolate produced was consumed by noblemen and merchants, all men, of course, at banquets. It was still very bitter and peppery, but it was mixed with vanilla, honey, and flowers, and served cold and foamy, usually at the end of a meal, along with the tubes for smoking tobacco. Apart from its energizing powers, these blends were highly caffeinated, no doubt. It was believed to be an aphrodisiac. The Emperor Montezuma is known to have consumed huge quantities of various colors in golden cups. Europeans first tried chocolate following the fourth voyage of Columbus in 1502, but the Spanish appeared to have been unimpressed until 1528 when Cortez brought back not only cocoa beans, but a recipe and tools for making chocolate. It became a Spanish sensation. After that, the direction of global conquest was reversed, at least gastronomically. Europe has remained a continent of chocolate fanatics ever since. Louis XIV's wife is reported to have assured the Sun King that she had no passions except for her husband and chocolate, although one wonders which she valued more. By the 19th century, no less an authority than history's greatest gastronome, Brilat Savarian, proclaimed, Chocolate is health, and he prescribed it for many ills long before science confirmed its therapeutic properties. In its pure dark form, chocolate has indeed been shown to be heart smart, with more antioxidants than black tea or red wine, as well as lots of magnesium, iron, and potassium, all vital to women's health. It can also ease anxiety and depression as it contains serotonin, which act on brain receptors and have a beneficial influence on mood. As it is also high in fat, however, it is better enjoyed after lighter meals than after fat-laden holiday feasts, or by itself as a pick-me-up. One of the most dispiriting developments of the 20th century was the mass production of chocolate. It created an, an inferior product loaded with bad fats, and as a result, many Americans have never in their lives tasted the real thing. But relief has appeared with the rise of new, new artisanal chocolatiers, passionate guardians of traditional methods that were perfected in the 18th century. It is to these chocolate makers, now popping up all across America, that we must look for the quality that first inspired chocolate worship. My mantra of quality over quantity is doubly important when applied to something as potent as chocolate. In tasting chocolate, sweetness, saltiness, acidity, and bitterness are key savers. Acidity is what you feel inside your cheeks, and it's essential to the diffusion of aromas and length of taste in the mouth. Bitterness is felt at the tip of the tongue. It signals a chocolate with a little sugar, and it's a good quality as long as it does not cancel out any other sensation. Texture is also vitally important to character. Smoothness, the crunch of the shell. The artisan's ability to play with the yin and yang of chocolate, meaning sweet-salty, sweet-bitter, acid-bitter, hard-crisp, crispy-luscious, cold and warm, all of these explain why the experience of one master's work can differ meaningfully from the experience of another's work. For French women, the real thing remains dark chocolate. Bittersweet or, even better, extra bittersweet, which is the purest with the highest percentage of cocoa solids, the stuff that makes chocolate taste chocolatey. Although you rarely meet someone who doesn't like chocolate, what the average American consumes, a chocolate connoisseur would never touch. Milk chocolate, white chocolate, or any of the various packaged forms sold in supermarkets and drugstores. This is, quite simply, junk food. 
loaded with sugar, very low in cocoa content, and more often than not artificially flavored and colored and preserved. Real chocolate, like fresh ground coffee, has a very short life of full flavor. The value of good chocolate always holds steady. Many French women say, when I'm down, I chocolate, meaning I splurge on the dark stuff. When you come to recognize the potential for taste pleasure and psychic relief, you will understand that it's worth the investment for good chocolate. Fortunately, with good chocolate, you don't need and should not want pounds of it for pleasure. A couple of choice pieces a day won't disable your budget or your weight maintenance program. For those not near the chocolate boutiques now appearing in most American cities, it is possible to order high quality online, such as dark, rich, bittersweet chocolate. And of course, using a little food of the gods can elevate the simplest dessert to a sacrament. Well, that wraps it up for us this week, folks. We are so happy that you joined us here on the Southern Sisters radio program. Check us out at our website, southernsistershome.com, or send me an email. You know I love to hear from you. Radio at southernsistershome.com. And would you like to see us in the studio doing our thing? Check us out on Facebook, Southern Sisters Home with Jenny McCormick Earhart. We're there on Facebook Live. Have a great week.